Amazing. So we're going to dive right in. Um, in my ignorance, I thought I would get through the first session in about 20 minutes. <laughs> so I only got halfway through my slides, <laughs> just so you know. So, um, so we're just going to pick up right where we, where we left off. So we talked about a spiritual breach and the amazing thing is God has a solution for the breach in the walls of righteousness around a nation or around a city or around a people or in our hearts. And in Isaiah 58, we see the solution. In fact, all of Isaiah 58, the entire passage is verse by verse instructions for us as to how we do justice. In fact, Isaiah 58 is called the fast that lets the oppressed go free. Most fasting is with food. This fast, I believe, I'm coming to believe, growing to believe, the fast of Isaiah 58 is a fast of convenience. Did you catch me? The fast of Isaiah 58 speaks extensively about spending yourself on behalf of the poor. Now, the energy that it takes to spend yourself on behalf of the poor means you got to eat. <laughs> but I think, I think, no, but obviously you can combine it with not eating. But I really believe that the emphasis of Isaiah 58 is getting out of your comfort zone, getting into the place where it costs you something to spin yourself so that your light would break out like the dawn. Remember that? smoldering wick, that dimly burning flame. He says, if you want your light to break out like the dawn, do Isaiah 58. But it says about the breach, those from among you shall build the old waste places, raise up the foundations of many generations. We're talking about generational desolations, things that have been broken for a long time. He says, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Oh, there's the real estate thing. There's the housing. And testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. For whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God and abides in him and he in God. That's the wrong passage of scripture. But <laughs> somehow it made it on, on the end of Isaiah 58. But here's the... the, the the point is that we are called to be repairers of the breach. However, God has a controversy with the church, with the prophets. In Ezekiel 13, we see God's controversy. He says, precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Hold on. There's a wall, a break in the wall of righteousness. And there's a disconnect between the dream of God for all people and the reality of all people. There's a breach between heaven and earth. There's a breach between the economy of heaven touching the lowest parts of the earth. There's this gap. And so because of feeling the pain of the gap, people who are in oppression rise up and they say, well, we need to build a wall to fix it. And so in their best efforts, even if it's devoid of Jesus, 
It's like, well, ain't nobody else stepping in here to mend this pain or to fix this issue, so I'm gonna do it as best I know how in my own energy and my own strength. And then the people who are God's people, supposedly, it says the prophets who are supposed to carry the testimony of Jesus, they see the people who were in oppression rise up to fix the wall. And it says the prophets smear it with whitewash and say, oh, you know what? There's no problem. There's not really an issue. That's just a political scheme. Man, those people aren't really hurt. Didn't we already elect a black president? Why are they making all this noise? He says, you whitewash it. You say there's peace when there's no peace. And he says, because of it, there will be a deluge of rain and hailstones will fall and a stormy wind will break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you? So where's the, the coating that you smeared on it? What, what Band-Aid that you put on it can help right now? Now that the storm has broken out because the real issue has not been addressed. Therefore, says the Lord, I'll make a stormy wind break out and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger. Great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will lay bare. I believe over the last seven, eight years, particularly here in America, the Lord has allowed the chaos of our times, the storms, the controversies, all of the swirling to expose everything that can be exposed for us to get to the place where we say, you know what? Our foundations are broken and we need Jesus to restore us. Does that make sense? America is great. Uh, well, let's, let's look at the foundations. Isaiah 28 says in verse 17, for justice will be the measure. Tyler alluded to it last night. The measure of the maturity of Christ in us will be measured by the level of justice that we do. But he says, I will make righteousness the plumb line. Plumb is a instrument used when that builders use. If you build a house by the naked eye and, it, and the wall looks straight by the naked eye, you're like, yeah, that, that, that looks straight to me. Then you set the plumb on it and it's crooked. God says, I'm gonna set the plumb line of righteousness to the nation so that you realize that what you built that you thought was right, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it's wrong. You're gonna realize it's not plumb line to my way of doing things. So I'm gonna bring it back in order so that the foundation can, can support the house that God is building. Does that make sense? So I'll come back to Ezekiel 22 where it says, her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies saying, thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. Here's the problem in the land that God has. The people of the land have used oppressions. They have committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. God has an issue with injustice in the land. And he is rebuking those who call themselves the people of God, the mouthpieces of God. He says, this is what the people have done. They're oppressing wrongfully the stranger. They're mistreating the poor and the needy. They're not in proximity. 
They all have something to say about it, but they're not walking. You're not living with the people. You're not present with them. And he says, so I sought for a man who would make a wall, who would make a wall and stand in the breach, the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So we know that God finding one who is righteous, one who is without blemish, Jesus, the man of justice himself, God the Father sends his son to stand in the gap between heaven and earth, that massive gap between the the dream of God and the iniquity and the brokenness of man. Jesus stands in the gap. He comes out of the luxuries of heaven and all the attributes that he had as the God-man, he puts on the shelf and he steps into this broken human condition and he sits in the dirt with us. The uncreated becomes created, takes on our condition willingly and willfully submits himself to endure every temptation and every struggle, is rejected. He says he's the cornerstone who the builders rejected. He experienced oppression. Isaiah 53, it says he was the man of sorrows acquainted with tears. Jesus fully uh, incarnates and feels what we feel, walks this earth. And then he overcomes the demonic powers. Says on the cross through his suffering, he disarmed the powers and the principalities. And then he says, it is finished. He says, I have done my work. Now I'm committing you, I'm committing the rest of it to you. I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation and now I'm gonna commission through my blood, I'm raising up a multi-ethnic, multicultural family who can walk in the same authority and the same victory as me and now they will go and they will restore the streets with dwellings. They will build according to my vision. So we run into the gaps now, we're called to the gap too. We're called to go stand in the gap with Jesus. Now, every time there's an injustice that happens, a, a, a breach happens, even like a homicide, wherever a homicide happens, wherever blood is spilled, a spiritual breach occurs. So God directed us to go and pray at the monument where Mike Brown, the 18 year old in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014 was killed. People from around the world were going there to the spot where he was killed, and you would see their countenance change. People would fly from all over the world, and the moment they saw the monument, you would just see them get enraged. So God gave us the idea to go, that spot in the center of the street is the spot where his body was laying, and we, he instructed us to stand shoulder to shoulder to get a black person, a white person, an Asian person, a Hispanic person, and as much diversity as we had, stand shoulder to shoulder, black, white, black, white, black, white, and put on our mouth a prayer, the summary of a prayer. So if we're praying for justice, you write justice. If you're praying for unity, you write unity. If you're praying for peace, you write peace. Write it on our mouths, and it looks like a protest, but it's really a prayer meeting. We're not there to get man's attention. We're there to get God's attention. We don't want to move men, we want to move heaven. We want to be a display before the powers and principalities. So we're standing there repenting silently. It's a one hour prayer meeting. 
And all of a sudden, the atmosphere began to change. It was crazy. I had a Jewish guy walk up to us. And he goes, what kind of protest is this? I said, well, it's actually a prayer meeting. We're, we're praying uh, in the name of Yeshua. He says, well, I wish I could serve Yeshua, but I'm Jewish. I said, I said, brother, this is a Jewish gospel. This is for you, bro, first, actually. I need your permission. He was like, bro, he was like, man, I've always admired the faith of the black community. Man, I wish I could, I wish I could just know that Jesus was the Messiah. Had this amazing conversation with a Jewish man. And he was like that close to like fully converted. But I said, here, you can pray with us. Just what, what's the summary of your prayer? Muslims and, and, and uh, people, Hindu, like people started joining us and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, we're praying in the name of, of Jesus, but we're repenting. We're asking for forgiveness and asking for cleansing of the land. And I was, so, I was shocked. Like Muslim people love to pray. And so they're like, well, we'll pray. Can, can we pray? I'm like, yeah, you can pray. But what's amazing, as people begin to join us, they were coming under the authority of the spirit of God, of Jesus. And we begin to see miracles happen. Healings spontaneously happen. A demon cried out of one person. They fell on the ground, they're screaming. And so now we're a ministry team. Then somebody calls the, the ambulance because they're like, this person's having a seizure. I'm like, nah, it's spiritual. But you can, call, you can call the ambulance if you want to. Ambulance comes. They take the person, put them on the stretcher, take them into the fire station. Two minutes later, they walk out like nothing's happening. I said, I told y'all it was spiritual. <laughs> person got free. But anyway, this is what I'm saying. We begin to do this every week. We begin to go and stand before the Lord at this place. This is in 20. 14 and 15. Last year, no, two years ago when George Floyd happened, by that time, Ferguson was a footnote in history, but what we experienced in Ferguson for 127 days straight became the norm in Portland, Oakland, Chicago, Dallas, I mean, everywhere. Next thing you know, I had pastors and leaders calling me, hey, how did y'all do it in Ferguson? Police departments and chiefs of police and, and federal and state and local authorities calling Ferguson and all the, they needed everybody. Cities were going up in flames. They're going, we don't know what to do. Who knows what to do? How did Ferguson handle their, their response? And da, 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 da. And so next thing you know, overnight, we were in 450 cities of people doing this. Now, it was, it was insane. And so here's a picture of uh, people doing the wall, raising up the wall uh, in cities around the nation, this next picture. And you can see it was, it was a way for us to respond and be in proximity and be present and bring the presence of God into the places of pain, what we call the altars of pain. And uh, <clears throat> on Juneteenth of 2000. 20, the first uh, time, the Juneteenth conversation, which is the holiday where we celebrate the emancipation of, of slaves, of the enslaved persons, the final federal uh, recognition of the end of slavery. 
On Juneteenth 2020, by that time, walls, these, these walls of intercession where we're running into the gaps and we're calling the church, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, everybody go to the streets. Don't just sit at home and watch what's happening on TV. Don't just sit in your safe house while downtown Portland is burning. Downtown Portland is burning because you're sitting in your house and you're not present. It's not a rebuke, it's an invitation. I'm here to tell you about this peacemaking anointing. Everywhere we would show up on the streets, things that seemed crazy, what the police could not do, what tear gas could not do, what rubber bullets could not do, suddenly we would show up and everything would stop. I'm telling you the truth. Because the Prince of Peace shows up and arrests the spirit of chaos. Antifa had no weapon, had no threat, had no authority and no power against the presence of Jesus. So on June 20th or June 19th, Juneteenth, 2020, a friend of mine called and said, hey, we're doing this in Kansas City, but the dividing line, the altar of pain in Kansas City is a street called Troost Avenue. It's 10 miles long. It is the socioeconomic dividing line. It's the racial dividing line. Redlining happened there. All the, the prostitution and drugs and this and that and the other, everything happens through Truce. Truce is the street where all the white people know, don't go up, don't, don't cross truce after you know, 7 p.m. Don't go over there. And what he did is he said, we wanna do Truce Avenue. I said, great, we'll go for it. He's like, JT, would you come? I'm like, well, maybe I'm in, I'm in Atlanta on that morning. I don't know if I can get all the way to Kansas City. Flights are crazy. And he's like, no, we wanna line all 10 miles of truth with, with people. We want, we want the whole church of Kansas City to come to Truce Avenue. Do you know, in a matter of three to five days, this is how you know it's the Lord. In movement world, things happen just like that. Like in the, in, in the, in the movement world, the church was always supposed to be a movement. We're a movement. And in movement world, things mobilize like this. I can send out one text message when things are hot during the summer. One text message, black man killed at this street corner intersection. It was unjust, show up. Next thing you know, 5,000 people there. Just like that, within, within minutes, maybe a couple of hours. That's how it works in movement world. In the church, we're so used to a program. We're so used to predictability. We're so used to safety that we don't show up. But Jesus said, follow me. You can't follow something that's not moving. Jesus moves. Where are we going? I didn't give you an itinerary. I said, follow me. What are we doing? You'll see when we get there. But I got something to do. Okay, well, let the dead bury the dead. That's how Jesus rolled. When we follow the rabbi, he is not going to give you a nice, pretty package. So I say all that to say, we show up in Kansas City. 7,000 people were on the streets with tape on their mouths. And I knew it was a move of God, and this is a video. You can see what happened in Kansas City. Peace. 
It's not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of truth. For decades, it's been known as the racial dividing line in Kansas City. What is the place in our city that represents the most division, the most brokenness, the divide, and truth is that peace. And so we said, you know what, let's pray the walls of truth down so that truth no longer is a wall of division, but it's a wall of unity. Though the race discussion is a long one, it's a tedious one, because there's no way that 400 years of oppression and being disenfranchised and marginalized is going to occur overnight. But if we stay at the table, if we are committed to bring unity in our city, that together we will make a difference. We're standing in the gap between the promise of what God said we could be in the pain of what we've been. We are intercessors standing before heaven. I've been on the ground in Minneapolis. I've been on the ground in Atlanta. I've seen it with my eyes. God, this is not a token event. This is a moment for us to shift something in the history of America. The earth didn't hear George Floyd, but heaven said, we hear you. Father, we pray right now that you would forgive us our trespasses as we also will forgive those who have sinned against us, who have committed injustices against us. And Lord, we're saying, God, lead us not into temptation, God. We pray that you would deliver us from evil, God. Tonight, God, deliver us. Deliver us from evil, God. Give us on this day, Lord, give Kansas City our daily bread. We just ask you would receive all glory, that you would receive all honor, all dominion, all power, all praise. Father, loose protecting angels around every person standing tonight. We ask God for your divine protection, and we march on now knowing that you command angels concerning us. Now give us faith and courage to stay on our wall, to stay on the boats, to walk humbly, to love mercy, to act justly in Jesus' name. Amen. So, of course, the news cameras picked up this 10-mile sign in a wonder of thousands of people from every socioeconomic background and demographic standing on the sides of the road, and they had never seen anything like this, and so it kind of went viral around Kansas City, and people were rerouting themselves to come to truce and drive down. And it was a 10 mile that at the end where you see the cars honking. By the end of the prayer gathering, cars were just riding through, you know, honking and people were shouting and cheering and the whole atmosphere, this place of historic brokenness turned into a place of celebration. And the presence of God was resting upon Truce Avenue. And this one man that was tatted from the <laughs> top to the bottom. And I, I recognize this guy. I'm like, he's a hood brother, like a hood brother. He was weeping uncontrollably, couldn't drive. He pulled his car over and stopped right in front of us. And he was like, what is this? What is this? And we were like, he's like, man, I can't stop crying. He's like, I ain't never seen this many white people down here. The white people showing up in the place where it's always been told, if you're white, don't go there. Just seeing, just seeing white people in his hood standing there for him on behalf of God brought deliverance and healing to his heart. This guy probably hadn't cried in 25 years and he's weeping as the presence of God is gripping him. 
the necessity of proximity. When we just show up with compassion in our hearts and say, you know what? God, come to this place. Be here. We need you. Now, we came up with this idea because I was in my basement packing bags and the Lord says, JT, you lead the protest. The protest movements today, not that protests are bad, but what I need you to understand is that the historic civil rights movement, at least the black civil rights movement, was led by the church. Do you know that the first great awakening and second great awakening we would still be enslaved if revival had not hit the church and people in majority culture were convicted that slavery was an affront to God. And so what happened is revival produced reformation. And the reformation that began to lay hold of us in the 60s, that social reform was actually a move of God in the black church where suddenly in prayer meetings, God would give leaders ideas. It wasn't Rosa Parks' idea just to not sit in the back. God gave her that idea. It was a divine download, a strategy that would come in the place of prayer and through the place of prayer. And so in that same way, when I came here to Bridgetown and got charged with helping us begin to dream about what justice looks like here at Bridgetown, the first thing I was told was all of our partners, which I was so happy for, and I'm glad we got to hear from uh, Yinka and Refugee Care Collective, and there are amazing partners who are doing amazing things in this city. But I also realized that we cannot allow partnerships to necessarily dictate our vision. We have to get vision from heaven and we have to say, Lord, what doesn't exist that's in your heart that you desire to entrust and release through us? What exists that we can strengthen and support? What exists that we can partner with? But God, what is that new thing? What is that brand new new? What is that giant in the land whose head needs to be cut off? What is that root that we need to dig up and lay the ax to so that the whole tree falls? And the only way to do that is to do re reconnaissance, is to survey the land, to scout the land. And because quick justice feels good but is not always effective, it would be really easy and probably exciting for me to just lay out a five-year plan for you right now. But that's not how I roll. Because I believe that the Lord wants to invite us all into the process of reconnaissance, of discovery, of searching out the heart and mind of God, of getting strategies that weren't based off of strategies that God gave 50 or 60 years ago. Do you know how many churches, I mean, we, we are a church that honors ancient, uh, you know, the monastic fathers and, and the desert fathers and mothers, the, 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 the ancient spiritual practices. And so we embrace those. We, we, we stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient past where the good way is that we may walk in it. So we walk in that way. But we're also a hybrid people where we believe that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. 
That there's something greater and better than what we've ever seen or known or done. And right now, the justice movements, a lot of our strategies are still based off of strategies that God gave us a long, long time ago. And some of them are good and some of them are effective, but I would say there's gotta be an upgrade. What if the idea of a boycott or a protest is like yawn in heaven? God's like, oh, something went wrong. Well, let's go protest and God's like, <laughs> this is so boring. I wish they would ask me and I give them the strategy that's gonna finally annihilate this whole thing. Like if there's a people that are bold enough to wanna get creative with God, but humble enough to stop doing what you think is justice long enough to say, God, give us the real thing. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? So we began asking those questions and I've been asking that question since I've been in this position. I gotta hit this real quick to honor my wife. She had an idea because we wanted to do the wall at every altar of pain and she says, well, from what if, she says, there's like a Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in every city that we've gone to. And like, I go get my hair cut. I just got my hair cut two days ago before I came here. Can't, can't stand up here looking rough. But when I go to a new city, if I wanna go find a black barber, all I do is look for Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. They're gonna be a barber on MLK, trust me. Because MLK is usually the, the, the root to what either was formerly the black community or currently is the black community. But that also means it's the road to probably the most oppressed communities in any city. And there's statistics to back all that up. And so my wife says, what if we did a wall on every Martin Luther King Jr. in the world? Well, there's nine, there's, well, at the time there was 987 of them. We only got 460 of them covered, but that's a good start. So God gave us the idea, and this was apart from any natural knowledge, on August 8th, 2020, we just picked, just randomly picked the date, 8-8-2020, to call everybody to stand on MLK and pray for one hour with tape on their mouth in every city in America and beyond. Turns out seven different, or six, or six countries also participated outside of America. But we said 8-8, at the same time, everybody go and do this thing. So we built a website and we put it out there 400 plus cities signed up. I'm like, this is great. While I'm researching, I find out that the first Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard that ever existed was in Chicago and it was dedicated on August 8th, 1969, We thought it was just a random idea from God, but he knew exactly what he was doing a new strategy, a new movement was born. So we did pray on MLK. Here's an image of some people out there at that. I believe this one was in Charlotte. Then Uversion contacted us and asked if we would do a series of devotional videos for them. We were able to interview the heads of six different denominations and missions organizations to do a series on oneness and Uversion incorporated it into their Bible app. 
and they want to do more and more. Then God began to give us the idea for how to build this network of holy activism. And so 380 cities begin to express interest in how do, do believers steward the ministry of reconciliation and begin to be holy activists and show up in the streets and, and pursue reconciliation and justice. Through that, I met John Mark Comer. He brought me here, things happened, and I'm still here. But the question that I was getting from pastors was, okay, we did the prayer on the streets, now what? And the truth of the matter is we had not embedded in a local church. We, you know, I'd come in and preach and send teams to come and do a weekend summit, but I had never fully been embedded in, I, I just didn't have a sufficient answer for what now, what do we do now? And so that's why this is a historic moment even for me. Because believe it or not, you guys are the guinea pigs. Right now, God, for whatever reason, has chosen Bridgetown Church possibly to become the catalyst for showing towns all over the world how to bridge the gap. So we're here what civil righteousness does is build walls of righteousness through proximate intercession. We're also building the table through truth and reconciliation. America has never had a comprehensive federal truth and reconciliation task force or commission. Other nations all over the world, there are standards, even from Germany, dealing with the truth of what happened in the Holocaust and how to uh, appropriately address the fallout and the trauma from that portion of history to South Africa, Bishop Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela had a federal commission on truth and reconciliation that brought the entire nation and every agency, every federal agency, every religious institution, every academic institution into an extended and extensive process of discovery, truth-telling, um, really even pardoning where people could go on record like congressional testimony of all the experiences where black South Africans uh, could talk about what their experiences were and then where white Afrikaners could come in and actually confess things that they did, um, whether it be murdering a black South African or stealing their properties or whatever, you could confess it and basically get your slate wiped clean if you went on record. Now the power behind that is that the truth of confession is that it works whether you're in the church or not. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. So when you create a space for, for confession, it actually opens a door for emotional healing. God blesses it. One of the pain points of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa was that it stopped there. The reconciliation was not true reconciliation because it was truth telling, but it did not lead to reformation. In America, we've done a ton of reformation, but we've never entered into corporate truth telling. We've never entered into corporate confession. 
So the problem is we've done innovation and implementation, but we've not done mediation and negotiation. Do you hear me? So we're trying to mediate and negotiate in political forums and social media forums and all these places and even in conversations like this. But what if God wanted the body of Christ to lead in the national discussion on truth and reconciliation that we might actually get to a place of healing that we've never been to? Now, I know some of you aren't necessarily American citizens, you're going like, yeah, but what about us? What about our country? What about our oppression? What about our issues? I believe that this work, this ministry of reconciliation is for every tribe and tongue and the table is the place of miraculous encounter. The table, we're building the table through truth and reconciliation. We're building the wall of righteousness And we're building spaces for us to find Jesus and to find one another around the table. That's why we're going to do our our third session today is while we're eating outside around the table. And it's probably been the thing I've been most excited about because it's the hardest place to be. It's the hardest thing to do, but it's the place where the most glorious fruit happens in community, face-to-face with one another, being courageous, being willing to go and believe God to heal our wounds. The table, last Juneteenth, so the first Juneteenth, we did uh, the wall at Truce, Pray on Truce. This was last year where we had a 500-foot table built and set up in in the main street of Ferguson. And people came and had a meal and had courageous conversations around truth and reconciliation, hard conversations. And it was powerful. Matthew 22 says the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast, like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. There is something profoundly kingdom, profoundly anointed, profoundly powerful when we create space to fellowship with one another and feast on the goodness of God at the table of the Lord. Martin Luther King said in his, I have a dream speech. He says, I dream that one day the sons of slaves and former slave owners will sit together at the table of brotherhood. The table of brotherhood is is the table that the father has created through the son Jesus. It's the family table. And so what if every Juneteenth, we, we made this the practice that everybody does? We know right now there are certain holidays that you have traditions that everybody does. You know, you barbecue on this holiday. You get the family together and, and do this on this holiday. What if all over America, which Juneteenth is an American holiday, all over America in the years to come, it's known that what you do is you sit and have a meal with someone who looks different than you, votes different than you, thinks different than you, and you have reconciliatory conversations. What if we were able to set that pattern? You can see the font color changes because this is where Bridgetown enters in. The two circles coming together. 
the two becoming one. This afternoon, we're setting a table for bi-directional listening, bi-directional learning, lament, mediation, negotiation, innovation, and implementation. These are the things that must happen at the table. We have to learn how to create a space where every voice is valued and heard. We have to create a space where we can love mercy. Mercy happens at the table. Mercy is not just relief from oppression. Mercy mercy is relief from condemnation for even the oppressor. Do you hear me? Jesus died for both the oppressed and the oppressor. And so we have to create these spaces. Now, the second teaching today is called Holy Ground. Because of the reality of the time constraints that we have, I'm not going to go through every part of this teaching, but it is a key and fundamental part of the strategy, the next step of the strategy that God has given us for doing justice in this city. Now, you should have on your email some notes. Some of you might have a physical copy. This is a very, very uh, intense and extensive teaching. And uh, we probably need another hour if I was to do it any justice. So what I'm gonna do is just hit on some themes and trust that the Lord is gonna release into your hearts what you need in order to carry uh, out some of what we believe the Lord wants to release through us today from this place. We're gonna revisit the table more this afternoon while we're around the table. But uh, are you guys doing okay? You need to stand up and stretch. Okay, yeah, let's give God a hand clap of praise. We can at least do that. Woo! Okay. Now, when I came here, again, I told you that the Lord um, gives instruction through the, the place of prayer. So I had this one day where I was driving here to Bridgetown driving to the office without my GPS on, thinking that I'd driven here enough to know how to get from where I was staying to to here. And I'm driving down the road, and next thing you know, I'm 15 minutes the wrong way. I had not taken my exit, so I'm like, oh no. So I turn around, and I'm driving, and I get caught up. I'm thinking about, it was on February 22nd, 2-22-22. And all of a sudden, I begin to think, I I just, the scripture comes into my my heart, Isaiah 22, which says, behold, I'm going to give you the keys, the key of David to open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. So I'm thinking about Isaiah 22, key of David, open doors, closed doors. Next thing you know, in my spirit, I feel like I hear the Lord say, it's door day. I was like, it's door day. Okay, cool. It's Tuesday, it's 222, and it's my first day officially on staff here at Bridgetown. 
So I'm like, okay, yeah, open door. It's a new door that has been opened. And then I hear uh, 1 Corinthians 4, behold, a great and effectual door for the gospel has been opened and there are many adversaries. I'm like, whoa, a door has been opened and there are many enemies. So I'm driving and next thing I I realize I was trying to get to Gerald's 8 a.m. prayer meeting. By this time it's 8.30, I'm so late. I'm like, I'm late on the first day. I was kind of upset and then the Lord was like, no, turn off your GPS, I wanna take you on a journey. So I began to just ride in my car. I didn't know where I was in Portland. And wherever it felt like I should turn right, if the thought entered, turn right, I turned right. If the thought stopped, I'd stop. So I take a right off the exit because I felt like turn right. So I turn right and next thing you know, right at the bottom of the exit was a houseless encampment. You know, those are rare in Portland. (laughs) And, but this one was like, Wild! It was like the craziest one I'd seen yet at that point. <laughs> Y'all are like, nah, you ain't seen crazy, man. I'll take you. But I see this, this houseless encampment and I knew I got my phone out and I just started recording. This is what God does with me. Like I, he, he'll take me on journeys and I just start. Okay. The first thing I see is this houseless encampment. And here's a, here's a picture or a video. Here's some of the video. We don't have to play the whole thing. I see it, okay? Y'all are like, no, that's a really mediocre one. But, but right there, stop. I saw the pentagram graffitied on the bottom of the car, the satanic mark. And I knew that's what God wanted me to see. So I took a picture. I said, okay, God, I see it. Marked, noted. And the Lord says, Satan has tagged the land and I want you to deploy the troops to take it back. You didn't, you you got, see, I came out of the street, the the gang intervention world. What the gangs do is they mark their territory. Now I'm not comparing gang members to animals, but dogs and animals mark their territory, right? It's a sign of dominance. This is my spot. This is my ground. You don't cross over here. I have the authority here. We're the, we're the vice lords, we're the crips, we're the trace 60s or whatever. And this is our ground. This is our jurisdiction. You have no authority here. And what this was, was Satan saying, this is my land. And God says, tell the church that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And it's time to mobilize the church to take back what the devil has stolen. Noted, archived, marked. Moving on. I go on a two-hour drive with the Lord. No, sorry, excuse me. A one-hour drive with the Lord because I needed to show up here. It could have easily turned into all day. But the Lord's showing me stuff all over and I've got pictures and videos of the whole journey. Here's another video though. As I found, he led me to this place, right off Dr. King Boulevard, it said Martin Luther King. I saw a wall that said Martin Luther King. And then it had the history of civil rights and justice work in Portland. 
like a, a detailed history on all these posts and I'm learning about the history. On my first day on this job, I'm like, wow, God, this is awesome. He tells, I, I'm seeing the first church founded and built by African-Americans in Portland and I'm getting this education from the Holy Spirit on this prophetic tour with God as my guide in the land. And he says, I want you to raise up a survey of the land. And I want you to deploy the troops to walk the land and to declare that this is holy ground. I want you to send out the scouts so we can stop playing that. So I get here and I start logging this idea and I meet with Tyler and I was like, bro, I think I met with Gerald. I may have told Gerald first, but I was like, hey, I've got the first step to the Justice Center. We have to survey the land. We have to scout the land and take it back. We have to put our feet every place that your feet shall tread. I've given to you, says the Lord. And we have to show up in proximity with our eyes open and with our ears and say, God, show me. I want to see. And next thing you know, I share this with Tyler. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. I was already talking about that. I'm like, really? And I said, I was waiting, I was waiting to really like just blow the leaders away with like <laughs> this crazy like divine brand new idea. But see, the amazing thing about God is it's not about a man. It's about a man, the man, right? It's about Jesus. So nobody can get credit but Jesus. But the Lord had already been seeding this. And so I'm, I'm at, I hadn't told them this part yet at that point, but I was praying about this. I'm like, we're gonna develop an app and it's gonna track everywhere we go. And before I could say, Tyler, I wanna develop an app, he says, Let's do it, JT, and let's develop an app. <laughs> He's like, the app can track where we're going. I was like, I was just about to tell you that. I really was. <laughs> where everybody, every street that's covered is being tracked. And, we, and, and as we're walking the ground, we begin to see the, like, the, the, the color of the land change because we know that healing is beginning to be released because people are showing up. And so, and so uh, I, I was like in here, I'm writing the vision and I'm like, we'll name it Holy Ground. We'll name it Holy Ground. Well, I show up a month later and it's right at the pre-production meeting and somebody says, so yeah, who's doing the, the Holy Ground announcement? I was like, what? <laughs> what y'all talk, what kind of Holy Ground are you talking about? I haven't had that meeting with you yet. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, we've got this thing where we have people like sending in their pictures and showing us where their holy ground is. We're calling it holy ground. I was like, that was the name of the prayer walking initiative. Oh, God, God is initiating something. God has invited us into something. God is zealous for his city. God is zealous for his people. So 
What does this have to do with justice? Well, if you look at the notes here, holy ground, raising up cities of God, this is gonna be miraculous. We have a little bit of time, a little bit more time on the back end. I know you guys might be getting hungry, but I started this segment a little bit late. I, I earned myself some time on the front end. So, The first thing we have to understand about holy ground and prayer walking is that we're inaugurating a confrontation with the enemy by showing up in his campgrounds. Like it sounds like a good idea until you get out there and you do it. But we're not a country club. We're on mission in the world. And so the first thing we have to understand is authority. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The owner is the person who has the most authority. He owns it. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights are in, in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king and he loves him who speaks what is right. Proverbs 16, 11. This is a just balance and scales are the Lord's. He hates in Proverbs 11, a false balance, but a just weight is his delight. You have to understand God absolutely abhors injustice. And he says, all of the instruments of the justice system belong to me. So when a justice system takes on the name justice, but it doesn't look like him, it puts fire in his belly and his anger burns. That's why we engage in the justice system. That's why we take it back. Roman numeral two, God deeply desires to, to dwell with us. He has chosen us as a dwelling place. First Peter says that we have been built together like living stones for a spiritual house. God chooses to dwell in us. And if we keep reading, it says he has given us royal status, a priestly occupation and judicial authority. I'm not going to go through all of the subnotes here, but I would encourage you to go back and read this. But in 1 Peter 2, it says, we have been called to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We're a kingdom of priests. And what God has given us to do in Ezekiel 44 is it says, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. And in a dispute, they will act as judges and judge it according to my judgments. In other words, you and I actually have been called to judge some things. In fact, the Bible says the spiritual, the righteous man judges all things, but there's a way to judge. But the point of the matter is the judgment means you go to a judge to settle a dispute. That means you and I are supposed to be, we're, to be peacemakers. People should be able to come to us when they cannot solve an issue somewhere else and we have access to the mind and the heart of God and the love of God and we're able to offer wisdom and insight that brings shalom or peace. Does that make sense? And so this says, um, <clears throat> he's given us status as priest and he's given us judicial authority, which means we can actually rezone the land. It takes a judge 
to sign the title deed to the land, but he says, I've given you the ability to rezone the land through righteous judgments. As you pray and pray my will, you can actually step into a role as a judge in the land. I know this is high level stuff. Are you still with me? Number C, he has chosen cities as a dwelling place. For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. And he said, this is my resting place. Here I will increase the power of David. My anointed one will be a light for my people. I'll come back to that. Indeed, we see that human history begins within a garden, but it ends in a city. Unbroken fellowship and intimacy with God in the garden. The garden restored is the kingdom of heaven coming down to the earth and Jesus dwelling with us and wiping all the tears away from our eyes. Where God is, the city begins to look like him. Now the attributes of a city of God in Psalm 132, if we were to break down Psalm 132, we see four things, divine blessing, divine character, divine joy, divine wisdom, and divine might. In other words, in a city where God dwells, there is economic renewal or prowess. God blesses the provisions and the resource. It says in Psalm 132, a city where God is, he satisfies the poor. In a city where God is, there's spiritual vitality and renewal. Holiness and wholeness in the church. In a city where God is, there's a vibrant cultural renewal. There's arts and music and creativity that's God honoring. And fourth, in a city that God renews, the government grows in strength and influence and there is victory over darkness. As God is present, you begin to see crime rates dramatically decrease. You begin to see people's physical health restored. There's actual documented videos of this happening in villages in various parts of the world. There's a famous set of videos called the transformation videos where desert wastelands all of a sudden through a spiritual renewal that happens in the city, the land actually responds to the presence of God and fruits and vegetables and things that could never grow there previously begin to grow. Here's what I need you to understand. This is, a, this is such an important teaching that I'll have to go into more depth in the, in the months that we have to, uh, before us. But I need you to understand this. God is raising up prototypes of the new Jerusalem before the new Jerusalem comes. In the book of Revelation, there is a city with foundations. In the Hebrews, it says, Abraham longed for a city whose builder and maker is God, a city with foundations. In other words, Man has built our cities and there's an admonition in the Old Testament that says, woe to the city built upon bloodshed. We built nations on the back of slaves. We have done injustice to build our cities. We've created this capitalistic uh, uh, economic engine that steps on people and denies them justice. And it says, woe or a curse to that. But he says, Abraham longed for a city whose builder and maker is God, built on the foundations of justice and righteousness. That city is the new Jerusalem. 
before the new Jerusalem comes in its fullness, when Jesus returns, he is raising and choosing regions in the earth that possess the attributes of the new Jerusalem, that possess the, the attributes of righteousness and justice that are only found in the kingdom of God. I am here on this stage, not because you guys are cool, although you are, not because Tyler is cool, although he is. I am here because God showed me that he has chosen Portland. I'm, I'm, I'm serious, this is, this is the meat of this message. The spirit of the Lord is upon Portland because he is inviting Portland into becoming one of the prototypical New Jerusalem cities. The bend and the heart for justice that exists in this city is ultimately so that God can come and rest upon the hearts of like the willingness in our hearts, whether the motives are pure or not, God has actually uniquely put wirings in this city for justed minded things and purposes. And he's going to redeem that in righteousness through the leadership of the church to raise up a model of what a truly liberated city is. So God has not called us to build a justice center. He's called us to build a justice city. And this is what, by the grace of God, we will do. Roman numeral three, cities are our inheritance. Somebody say my inheritance. inheritance. Cities are our inheritance. If God has made us a royal priesthood, Ezekiel 45 talks about holy districts. After Israel comes into their promised land, God tells them to build cities. And he gives them portions of the land and the portion of the land that he gave to the priesthood, he said, shall be called a holy district. Now, I don't know if you guys have a theater district. Most cities have like a, a, a financial district you know, there's districts within cities. I believe that God looks at the earth and he's looking for cities that he can say, oh, yeah, Portland, Oregon, that's a holy district in the, in the, in the earth. Vegas, what's it known for? Is it a holy district? What if God actually is saying, I want Portland to be known as a place where I dwell? In your holy imagination, it sounds preposterous, but what if the moment you touched down in a plane or you drove across from Vancouver into the borders of Portland, what if the moment you drove in, God was so present in the atmosphere of the city that you drove in with a tumor hanging off your arm, but it shriveled up as soon as you crossed into the borders? You're going, well, that's impossible, is it? The Bible says the whole earth will be filled with my glory. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. What if Portland was a place that was so filled with the glory of God that criminals could not do crime here because their guns wouldn't fire? I'm serious. I actually have testimonies of communities where that has happened and I have video of it. What if Portland is so sick of law enforcement in the natural 
And it's created an opportunity for the church to actually propose and say, you know what? We value, we love the police, we'll pray for the police, we'll support the police. But actually, I live in this neighborhood and because I live here, all violence is restrained. That sounds preposterous. But God says, I can do exceedingly and abundantly above what you can ask or think. But it takes the people who are willing to believe a foolish thing. Are we willing to be peculiar and believe that God can and he will? In Ezekiel 48, God builds and names the city. Roman numeral four. It says, now the Lord is the spirit or Ezekiel 48, 35, the distance all around the city will be 18,000 cubits. And the name of that city from that time on will be called Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there. What if God wants to rename this city to a city called the Lord is there? 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. I'm not going to go through all of this except to see for us to note on these notes that Jeremiah 23, Jesus is called Jehovah Sikenu. Last night, Tyler talked about Sadaka. The Lord, our righteousness is his name. And in Jeremiah 33, Jerusalem, where Jesus has chosen to dwell and to put his eternal throne, the city is called the Lord, our righteousness. So God makes us righteous. Then he uses us to make the cities and the communities and the places where we live and where we go to make them righteous. Now we can go on and look at the requirements of a holy city. In Numbers 35, Levitical cities and the requirements of righteousness, one of the requirements is that the land cannot be defiled through murder. You still with me? I know this is heady. You still with me, y'all? In Numbers 35, what prevents God from dwelling among the people in the land is bloodshed. Tyler talked about blood crying out from the land. So the land has to be cleansed and God chooses to use us through prayer to cleanse the land. In 2 Chronicles seven thirteen, it says, when, when there's no rain or there's locusts devouring the land or there's pestilence in the land, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and do what? Heal the land. So the land itself is physically sick and God wants us to be agents of healing in the land. He says, he doesn't say, go do all these thousands of things and give all this money to these people. We have to do those things. But he says, first, humble yourself. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. God, we have no power and no strength. I see this homeless encampment. I know that billions of dollars are spent every year to address this issue. We're giving all the resource we can, but God, that has not been enough. Lord, we are weak and broken. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Would you come 
and touch every single soul that lives in this encampment. God, would you come and transform it? I can't do it, but we know you can do all things. If we assume that posture as we're going and doing justice, watch what God says he'll do. He says, I'll heal the land. So, prophetic symbols. We see that Moses sends out a a squad of people to survey the land. In Numbers 13, they get intimidated and filled with fear. They see themselves as grasshoppers in comparison to the giants in the land. But Caleb has faith. They come back. Moses has sent them to scout out the land. Hey, what's the good news? You ready to go into Canaan and go into the promise? And they're like, oh, bro, there's giants there. Oh, we can't go. We can't do it. Let's just stay here in the desert. Now, God has just brought them through 40 years. All the miracles they've, ex- they've seen and experienced. They're like, no. And then Caleb goes, nah, we should go up. We can surely do this. If God got us through all this, we can surely take the land. We, we can surely, these are, these, they're grasshoppers. We're not grasshoppers, they're grasshoppers. Let's go. And what God says, truly as I live and as, as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. That's key. You gotta know the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. So he responds to Caleb's faith and says, As truly as I live and as all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, which means you must take the glory into the places where there is no glory. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice. I told them to go walk the land. They were too afraid. I told them to go into the houseless encampment. They were too afraid. I told them to go love the widow and the orphan, but they were afraid. I told them to go and preach the gospel and pray for the game banger, but they were too afraid. I told them to go and spend themselves on behalf of the poor. They were too afraid. I told you to adopt that kid or two or three or 10 or build that transitional house or sell your house and go move to Africa. I told you to do it, but you were too afraid. After all the things that I've done for you, as sure Surely, as I did those things, but you did not obey my voice, you're not going to see the promise that I promised to your foremothers and forefathers. But none of those who despise me will see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, somebody say a different spirit, and has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land in which he went and his descendants shall possess it. God wants us to possess this land. You'll see on these notes, two prophetic symbols. I won't tell the whole stories, but there's a penny that says Liberty that founded this city, that named this city a penny. It was a coin toss as to what the name of the city would be. I feel like the Lord says, I'm tossing the coin again to the church of Portland. What's the name of this city gonna be? Will it be called the Lord is there or will it be known for everything else? Will we be intimidated? Council Crest, the highest elevation point in this city. Some say it was a native or an indigenous meeting spot 
But another history says that Congregationalist churches, a delegacy went up there to the highest place and they prayed and they dedicated this city to the Lord. If you go up there today, you can see inscribed on the ground what they, what they prayed, what they declared and prophesied over Portland. Finally, nothing's impossible. I came to you from St. Louis. It's not about me, but all over St. Louis, there are statues and monuments to Lewis and Clark because they left from St. Louis and they came here. All over Oregon or Portland, I've seen Lewis and Clark related monuments. I believe it's prophecy to us from the gateway to the West, the port city of the West to the port city in the Midwest, the gateway. I believe from gate to gate, God wants to release his glory.